beautiful day outside and an opportunity to be together now to worship. We continue our worship, in fact, as we've been worshiping together in song and prayer and the supper and our giving. So we now turn our attention to God's Word. We're grateful to be able to do that. Thankful for this opportunity to lead us in that study. And we are going to spend most of our time in the book of Hebrews this morning. So I appreciate the reading from Brad from that passage. And we'll come to that in just a moment and and spend a good part of our time this morning in, in looking at, uh, at the entire epistle of Hebrews as it relates particularly to that passage. We do that. We welcome visitors we may have this morning. We appreciate that you're among us, and we hope that you'll come back and join us every chance you have. And we certainly look forward to seeing you again tonight at six o'clock for another worship service and on Wednesdays in our regular uh, midweek studies together. And if you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to see the, uh, the the vital importance that you have to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ to be saved from your sins. That in fact. Jesus has made it possible for you to enter God's presence. That you have to choose to do that by turning away from your sin, by repenting, changing your heart towards sin in your life, and believing that Jesus is the Son of God and confessing that faith. And then being baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins so that He can then add you to His church. You can be a faithful Christian, living and growing, maturing and serving God every day. As God's people, we're to continually examine ourselves, be careful and cautious and diligent. When we find sin, that we'll repent of it ourselves, that we'll turn back to the Lord, seeking His forgiveness, confessing our sin in prayer, that He'll listen to us, He will forgive us, cleanse us from those sins, and uh, and strengthen us as we continue to press toward heaven. If we can help you in that, We certainly want to as well at the end of our study this morning. We invite a response to God's call in the Gospel according to God's will. Like for us, as I said, spend our time here in in Hebrews the 10th chapter and to to, uh, just to introduce our thinking here, we we properly encourage on a regular basis that it's, it's important for us to assemble and worship. We regularly speak of of the value of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And in fact, that, that as God has taught us, we need to be involved in the assembly. We need to be present, coming and assembling uh, to worship God. We, at the same time, while we do that, we want to constantly keep in mind that uh, such conduct is to be from our heart. Uh, in Matthew, the 15th chapter, Jesus, quoting from Isaiah, said, This people honors Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. In vain do they worship Me, teaching as their uh, commandments the doctrines of men. So that uh, service to God must always be from the heart as well as being in truth, that is, in the right uh, way. And so Jesus warned uh, for us not to be like those uh, that were hypocritical in approaching God, uh, and yet their heart was far removed from Him. In fact, as they were following their traditions rather than following the Word of God. Historically, uh, Israel, Judah, the north and the south of God's people forgot this. They, they, they forgot why they came before God. And they corrupted the worship. Uh, that uh, they were to be giving God. In Isaiah, the first chapter, just as one of many, many uh, Scriptures about this in the Old Testament, 
God says through His prophet, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, he's not talking about literal Sodom and Gomorrah because they had been destroyed long ago. But he's speaking to the people of God. The word, those who had received the Word of God. Those who had had the law of God. He said, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says the Lord. Why are you bringing all of these sacrifices to me? I've had enough of burnt offering of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. And he continues to tell them, I'm not going to receive your offerings. I've had enough of this. Uh, I reject them. When you spread your hands, I'm going to hide my eyes from you, verse 15 says. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. They approached God in conduct, but their hearts were not given to God. They were given to bloodshed. They were given to hypocrisy. They were given to immorality. And God said, I will not accept that kind of worship from you. And Isaiah, again, in chapter 29 and verse 13, in fact, the passage that Jesus quotes in Matthew 15, Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear taught me, uh, their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men, therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder. In other words, he said, I'm bringing a judgment upon you because you really have no fear of me. You've been told to do this and you do it, but not, not out of a faith and fear of me, but, but you're hypocritical. He said, your heart's far from me. And of course, this is a warning that the Scriptures give us, that the Gospel teaches us, is that we must not forget why we come together and why we worship God. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, as the, the inspired writer begins to develop his point, uh, and as he demonstrates the, the superiority of the new covenant over the old, and, and, uh, in, and he comes to the matter of sacrifices and the priesthood, he says uh, that Christ has been called by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. The Christians of that day, uh, it was difficult for them to receive. Hard to, uh, He says it's hard to be uttered, some of the versions say. That is, that these things need to be said and they would be said, but the condition of their heart was such that it was, it, it, there was a real possibility that it be rendered ineffective in their case because they had not grown and matured as they should have, as he goes on to explain in the next few verses. So that, so that the, the warning for us by looking at Israel of old and hearing the words of Jesus is while we speak and while we regularly assemble to worship, we must always be vigilant that our worship is in spirit and in truth, that our heart and our conduct conforms to that which brings honor and glory and praise to God. 
that we do not become like ancient Israel. And so in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the point is made we assemble to, when we assemble, we assemble to enter the presence of God. When we come together, we are coming into the very presence of God to praise Him, to worship Him, to adore Him, to serve Him. And the book of uh, the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, he begins, he makes that point that, the, that we uh, have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. The holiest here is heaven itself, depicted by the most holy place of the tabernacle and then the temple that was in the wilderness, the temple constructed by Solomon. That all of those were shadows of heaven. And he says, We enter that. We have boldness to go into heaven, into the throne room of God, into the place of God's mercy and God's, uh, sir, uh, God, God's power uh, by the blood of Jesus. And that consequently, that's going to affect how we conduct ourselves. The why and the how. Let's remind ourselves that when we assemble to worship, it's to be with thanksgiving and song. The Psalms talked about this, and it's consistent in the New Testament. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Our singing is to God as it was then. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Here's coming before the presence of God with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. So, with song, ancient Israel was to come before God with gratitude of heart, with thanksgiving before Him. And in a similar way, we assemble. We're to not to be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but rather stirring one another up to love and good works in this worship that we're offering to God. This text tells us that we're able to do that because of what Jesus has done. We are able to be here today and worship and know that our worship pleases God because of what Jesus did. Therefore, for us to understand what Jesus did to bring us into the presence of God, that's going to enhance our understanding and our appreciation of why we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because if all I know is, well, I'm supposed to be there on Sunday, so I'll go. If that's the limit of my concept of why I'm here this morning, then I need to sharpen up my listening. I need to open up my ears and learn how it is that it's possible for me to come into God's presence. Because that's what happens in worship. We are coming into God's presence and it's because of Jesus and what He has done that enables us to do that. By learning what Jesus has done to bring us to the presence of God, to enter into the holiest of holies, then then we're going to have our answer as to why we're not to be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Well, let's let the text teach us that. Let's begin here by noting that Jesus Himself entered the presence of God for us as a sacrifice for our sins, as an offering for sin. In Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20, Hebrews 6, 19 and 20 says, This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence 
behind the veil. Here's the picture. We have a hope that reaches into the place where God's mercy is found. Behind the veil. The veil was the partition, that set, the curtains that separated the holy place where the priests went and they lit the lampstand and they put the showbread on the table and there was an altar for burnt incense and the priests would attend to this continually. But there was a veil and beyond the veil was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat sat upon that with the cherubim on top. And once a year the high priest would go there and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat as an atonement for himself and the sins of the people, Leviticus chapter 16. Jesus, it says now, and He provides our hope. Our hope goes, it secures us because it enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. A priest like Melchizedek, Jesus Himself, has entered into the presence of God. How did He do that? Well, He did that by putting away sin through the sacrifice of Himself. So He's going to bring His blood into the place of God's mercy, into the presence of God. Not the blood of animals to sprinkle on it annually, but He's going to offer Himself as the sacrifice for our sin. In God's presence. We couldn't come into the presence of God without it. Chapter 9 and verse 26 says, He then would have had to offer Himself since the foundation of the earth. I'm sorry, let's start that over. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Jesus came to the earth and He sacrificed Himself on the cross. In His death, His body becomes an offering to God. He's going to offer Himself to God for the sins of the world. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, beginning in verse 5, Therefore, when He came into the world, He said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It's written of me to do your will, O God. This is of the Christ. This is of the Messiah. He came to do God's will, and God prepared a body for him to accomplish that will. Previously saying, now here's an explanation, verse 8. Previously saying, sacrifices and offerings and, and, uh, and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire and had pleasure in them, which were offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that is, the first covenant, first law, that he may, uh, first covenant, that he may establish the second. The second, that is, the covenant of the Christ. By that will. Not by the, the law of Moses, but by the gospel of Christ, by the new covenant, by that will, the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So by the offering of Jesus Christ, we've been sanctified, set apart from sin. Jesus makes our presence before God possible by going into the presence of God with His blood so that our consciences can be cleansed of the corruption of sin. Chapter 10, and I'm sorry, chapter 9, 12 through 14. 9, 12 through 14. Not with blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, 
He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, and that's what they did under the law of Moses. They would kill the red heifer, and they would they would use then the the blood of the, uh, the, the heifer and the bull and the animals. They would sprinkle it to purify things symbolically, ceremonially, but it didn't wash away sin. Much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God. He offers Himself to God. What does it do? He says it cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Why are you able to serve God today? Because Jesus offered Himself so that you could be cleansed of sin, so that I could be cleansed of sin. We could not serve God and be received by Him except that Jesus offers Himself to God to purify us as a sacrifice for our sins. So you see, when we go to, this is why we go to Jesus. Chapter 13, He sums all this up. He said in verse 11, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. They would take the carcasses and they'd burn them away from the camp after they used their blood. Therefore, Jesus also, when he, uh, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go to Him. We go to Jesus outside the gate bearing His reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but... We seek the one to come. Therefore, by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. We go to Jesus because He's made a sacrifice for us. We bear His reproach. We accept that because of the offerings He's made for us. And we, in turn, offer Him the sacrifice of praise. We give God the sacrifice of praise. Worship. We worship God and are received in that worship because of what Jesus did in being an offering for sin. Now why do we come together? If it's not to praise God for that reality. To be able to approach God and come to His, into His presence because Jesus is a sacrifice and made an offering for our sins to cleanse us. And we might come in God's pre- into God's presence. There's another point to be made. And that is, we come into God's presence. Jesus entered the presence of God for us as a high priest so that we can come before God. He came before God's presence as a high priest. He was not only the offering for the sin, the blood, but He is the high priest who come, who's appointed by God to approach God with that sacrifice. For our sins. Chapter 10 and 21, a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is His flesh. See, we enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus because now He's, we, are having, we have a high priest over the house of God. Verse 21. A high priest over the house of God. So now there is a fresh, newly appointed way that we are able to come before Jesus. Or, I'm sorry, come before the Father. Come before God is through the blood of Jesus, and He now is a high priest who comes before God on our behalf. Chapter 4, verse 14, 
uh, speaks to that point, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Again in chapter 6.20 that we read a moment ago, Jesus has, as a forerunner, entered for us, having become a high priest forever. wasn't enough for Him to just give Himself as an offering, but someone had to approach God with that offering. Not us. No, no we're the sinner. But we need, a high, we need someone, the high priest to approach with the offering. Jesus does that too. He entered God's presence for us. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says, Now this is the main point of things we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Christ is high priest over the house of God, over the temple of God, over the church. It is the church that receives the, uh, the, the sanctification. We are the cleansed ones, cleansed by His blood. He serves us as, as, as the high priest. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. Chapter 9, 24. He's entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So He offered Himself as a sacrifice, and then He presents Himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Chapter 2, and verse 17, and throughout the book, you see the, 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 book of the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is demonstrating the superiority of the new covenant. The blood of animals couldn't take away sin, but the sacrifice of Jesus can. The high priest offered the blood of animals once a year for himself and for the people, but Jesus, once for all as a high priest, now presents the sacrifice that was made once for all. And it's it enables what? Chapter 2.17? Here's what it does. In all things He has made like His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That is, He makes appeasement for your sins and my sins. He makes atonement. And He presents that sacrifice before God as our high priest. Chapter 7 and 27 says, "...who does not need daily as those high priests to offer sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this He did once for all when He offered up Himself." He offered Himself up to God in God's presence. Chapter 10, 12. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till the enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he perfected forevermore those who are being sanctified. One offering, one sacrifice, and one offering of himself to God. So that the Old Testament high priest and the offering of animal blood was symbolic of this present time. This present time, chapter 9, verses 6 through 10. Now, furthermore, as a high priest, as our high priest, in chapter 9, verses 11 through 14, he mediates a new covenant and dedicated this new covenant with his blood. Look at chapter 9 and, and verse 15. Hebrews 9 15. We read a portion of this before. It said, For this reason, because he offered Himself without spot to God. Verse 14, For this reason He is the mediator of a new covenant by the means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. 
Well, where a testament is, there of necessity must be the death of the testator. The testament is not enforced while one who made it lives. We make our last will and testament, but it doesn't become effective until we die. Jesus died. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Moses spoke about that. And he goes on to say, verse 20, that the blood of the covenant, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. Moses took animal blood and dedicated the old covenant. Exodus 24, verses 4 through 8. Jesus died to dedicate his new covenant. You remember that verse that uh, Ralph read for us at the table this morning? Matthew 26, 28. Let's go back and read that again. Ralph read, read it for us at the table. Jesus said this when He instituted the supper. This is My blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We're to remember at the Lord's table that Jesus' blood dedicated a new covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant. What does that mean? It means by His death, a new covenant was put into place. A new covenant is dedicated that gives us eternal inheritance. Redemption. As high priest, He presents Himself as that sacrifice, as the blood that puts into effect a new covenant that saves us from our sins. And now, as our high priest, at the right hand of God, He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's our intercessor. Pleading our case before God. Offering His blood pleading our case as we are through Him able to come before God with boldness to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Because He's in the presence of God where mercy is. And it's obtained by His offering and by His service now as our High Priest. What a blessing. We couldn't come before God. We couldn't be in the presence of God. We could assemble every Sunday until time is no more. And it would not do any good were it not for Jesus as the offering for our sin and the high priest who presented Himself into God's presence so that we now, as we assemble to worship, can go to the presence of God. That's the foundation. That's the basis of it all. And so you see, the Scriptures then go on in Hebrews to say that's how we can come before God's presence now. With boldness. He said, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holy place, holiest by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10.19. Chapter six, and again, in 6.19, uh, He speaks of that. Chapter 4, 14-16. He says, we have a high priest who can be touched with our infirmities. So He says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Why is it we can pray together? Or we can pray in our closet. We can pray and those prayers are heard in heaven in the presence of God because of what Jesus has done. Offering Himself as a, as a sacrifice for our sin and presenting Himself as high priest to God. That's why we're able to do that. That's why we're able to draw near to God. Chapter 10 and verse 23. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Couldn't draw near to God except for what Jesus did. As an offering, His service, His sacrifice, and His service as high priest. But now He says we can draw near with a true heart. That is, with genuine hearts. 
with genuine hearts. We can come before God and we can pray to God. And we can worship God. And we can give thanksgiving to God. We can pray for mercy and grace. We can pray for forgiveness and strength and wisdom. We can make our petitions to God and He will listen to us and He will respond because of what Jesus has done. And so we do that with a true heart. Not in pretense. Not like Israel and Judah that we read about at the beginning. You bring the, he said, I don't want your sacrifices because your heart's far from Me. You're in immorality. You're in sin. And you think you can bring your sacrifice and it's all good. We can't come on Sunday and offer our worship and through the week we can live in sin, but it's all good. Well, work never has worked. But because of Jesus, we can approach God with a true heart and with a full assurance of faith. Fully, fully confident in the promise of God that He will receive our worship and service. With cleansed hearts. You see, he says, you see, with, with hearts that have been sprinkled from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. We've been converted from our sin. The blood of Jesus has washed our sins away as we have been obedient by being baptized into his death. That's the illusion. And it cleanses our souls, cleanses our conscience from the guilt of sin. First Peter 3 and verse 21 is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Right? Because of what Jesus has done, we can enter God's presence with boldness. We can hold fast the confession of our hope firm to the end. He says, without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. So, once more, because of what Jesus accomplished as sacrifice and as His service as high priest now and at God's right hand serving us, we have confidence we can hold fast that confidence. Hebrews 3 and verse 14 says we do that. How do we hold fast our confidence? Well, by being faithfully obedient to God. Verse 14, let us be, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And then he describes Israel who died in the wilderness because they did not obey, but in their unbelief, they perished. So, when, so to hold fast our confession is faithful obedience from beginning to end. Chapter 4, verse 11, again he said, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So we are able to be blessed in obedience because of the obedience of Jesus. Chapter 5, 8 and 9. He offered Himself as an offering for sin and He presented it. His blood to the Father on our behalf. So we are told and taught to hold fast our hope without sluggishness. Chapter 6, 11 and 12. We desire that each of you show the same diligence with full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Why are we taught not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together? Among other reasons, because it's a demonstration of our, of our diligence to come before God and worship Him. It's a part of our diligent service as we hold fast the confession of our hope. Not sluggish neglect. Not I'll make it if, I, if I'm able to make it. I'll be there. It's I will, be, I will be there because of what Jesus did for me. I will be there to come to God 
I will be in God's presence because of what God has done for me and His Son. So it's no longer just about, I'm going to be at a building. It's about being in the presence of God. It's not just about, I'm going to be with a group. It's that I'm going to come together with God's people so that we can come before God and we can praise Him and we can thank Him and we can serve Him. We can sing praises. We can pray to Him. You see, we can do all these things that constitute worship that otherwise would never be possible or accepted except because of Jesus. Now, this is the context in which he says, next, let us consider one another to provoke or stir up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So, consider one another. How do we consider one another in this context? I believe the context is simple enough. We consider one another by our assembled worship activities. This is, how we stir, this is how we stir one another up to love and good works by participating in the assembling of ourselves together. And why do we assemble? To come into the presence of God. Why? Verse 19. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. To draw near. Verse 22. To hold fast. Verse 23. To consider one another. Verse 24. You see... We don't stir one another up by forsaking our assembling together, but by being present, faithfully worshiping God. This is how we stir one another up. We stir one another up, for example, in prayer. Because when someone leads us in prayer, they're not just praying for themselves, they're praying for everybody. And we're all to be participating in that prayer to be able to say the Amen at the end of it. So are we participating in the prayer? When we sing, we're speaking to one another in psalm and hymns and spiritual songs. We're stirring each other up to love and good works. When we eat the Lord's Supper, yes, it's individually partaken and we're to examine ourselves and partake of it in a worthy manner. But as we commune with the Lord, we wait on each other. We receive one another in that. 1 Corinthians 11 and uh, verse 33 and 34. When we give. You see, when we give, that's an opportunity to, for us to give cheerfully and thankfully because you see, in our giving, we're giving with the opportunity then to be serving each other. Because these monies are used in the local church for the service of God, to build each other up, to provide benevolence when it's needed, to provide the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of God's word. It's for our benefit. We're stirring each other up to good works when we give with thankful hearts. When we hear God's Word taught, God in His Word is building us up, teaching us, reproving us, rebuking, or exhorting, as the case might be. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2. That's how we stir each other up. It's not, hi, how you doing? We stir each other up to love and good works by our participation in faithful worship together. That's the context. That's what it's saying. And that's why we're not to forsake our assembling together. Because you see, when we assemble together, we're coming into God's presence together. To give honor to Him together. To give Him the thanks that we have mercy. 
that we've been forgiven, that we've been blessed, that we have hope, that we are assured in Christ Jesus. Not, of the, not merely of the momentary blessing, but of the eternal blessings. So, the final main thought here to think about is, what does this say about why we come together to worship? What, is it, what, does, what does this say about why we, we assemble? Well, I want to suggest to you that it says, my presence at worship assembly is at least as much about others as it is about me. Now, there's a, there's a part of it that's about me, and there's a part of it about, that's about others, but of course, fundamentally, being here is about God. There's the first reason. There's the first thing it says about coming to worship to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together is it's about God. God is Spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And it's God who calls us to worship. It's God who deserves our praise, our adoration, our homage, our reverent attendance for the greatness of His blessings, of redemption, of salvation, and of the the inheritance of eternal life. So my presence, first of all, the assembly is it's it's all about God. But now, also being here is about is about me, about you. You come for personal benefit because you want to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. You want to worship God, and you want to participate in. Edifying and edifying conduct with each other, with your brethren. Supposed to do that anyway. That's supposed to be our attitude about it. First Corinthians fourteen twenty six. What is it then, brethren? Or how is it then, brethren? When you come together, when you assemble, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification, for the spiritual building up of every Christian and hence of the body of Christ. So, being here is about you because God provides this as an opportunity for you and for me to get stronger, to be built up in our faith as we pray, as we remember His death, as we give, as we sing, as we study His Word. God's arranged that for us. But it's all because of Jesus. If He hadn't been the sacrifice and offered Himself, it wouldn't mean nothing. But now it means everything. And that's why He says don't forsake coming together. But thirdly, it's also about others. Because you see, this is how we stir each other up to love and good works. As we participate together, we have fellowship together in worshiping God. This is the the means of building up, of strengthening. So... The reason I don't forsake the assembly is first of all because I want to worship God. And God's made it possible for me to come in His presence. And I need that for myself to be strengthened. And I'm here to help encourage and strengthen others to, to work together in worship, to share in worship. Probably be a better way to say it. To share together in worship of God. That's why we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It also says we're not here to pretend to be faithful to Christ. We don't come to be seen by others. 
We don't, we don't come on the first day of the week or on Sunday nights or on Wednesday nights to check off a list of requirements. No. That, that, that's not why we're here. We're not, we're not here. We don't come just so brethren won't call us and ask us where we were. So I better show up or somebody's going to call me. That's, that's, that's not why. You say, no, no, that's... We come because... It's an opportunity to honor God, to worship Him, to be strengthened ourselves, and to help strengthen others in our worship together. We're not here as a social gathering. It's a spiritual assembly to give spiritual service to God. Now, we do that by teaching the Word of God. In our assembly, our parents are teaching our children, their children, that worship is not playtime. Worship is a time to attend to God. To give Him attention and to sing and to pray and to listen to His Word. Our assembly together keeps our focus on spiritual responsibilities as we participate in all the aspects of worship. You see, being together before we worship and after we worship is important. But that's an incidental result of assembling together to worship. Let me put it this way. We don't come on Sunday just to go see family and friends. Now, we see family and friends and brethren when we assemble. But it's not a social gathering. It's a spiritual gathering of worship to God. And one of the big problems with a lot of churches is they've turned the assembly that ought to be for worship into a social time. And that's not its work. That's not our work. We're to, what do we do? To come into the presence of Jesus, uh, of God by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 19. We're to come before Him boldly because He's made that access available. Full assurance of faith. We come before Him, He says, holding fast our confession, considering one another, giving God the praise and anticipating as the day approaches. Verse 25. Now, let's close. Let's close this by going to Psalm 110. 110th Psalm. Look what it says to us as worshipers. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. We come before His presence. We assemble together. We're to do it with singing. With joyful shouts of gladness of thanksgiving to God. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. And we are the sheep. Or we His people. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So, when we, when Israel was called to worship, they were told to remember who He is. Who, who you're coming before. He's God. He's the Almighty. He's sovereign. He's our Creator and our sustainer. We're His people. The sheep of His pasture. His pasture sustains us spiritually. He gave Israel a land. He gives us an inheritance in an eternal land. And He gives us the things we need spiritually to serve Him and be with Him now as well as eternally. Should we not also enter His presence with such regard? Continues, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. 
when we assemble. It's to thank Him. To bless His name. To praise His name. Why? For He is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. These are the things to keep before us. These are the how we approach God. With what? And the why is because of Jesus. Because of His sacrifice and His service as high priest. And so, considering that, that's why we come to worship. That's why we don't abandon our assembling together. But why we anticipate it so that we may have yet another opportunity to consider one another, to observe one another is the idea, to stir up, to, to, to encourage, to provoke unto love and good works. We seek to do that through the teaching of God's Word, and so we seek to do that as we offer the Lord's invitation now. To stir up, to provoke you to obey the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you know in sin you're lost. You're separated from God and, and alienated from Him and lost. And, he, and Jesus has offered His blood before God so that you could be saved. You could have mercy. You could be a child of God. We urge you to repent and be baptized. Have your body washed as it were. Have your soul cleansed. Being immersed into, the, into Christ. Into His death. In baptism, to be raised to walk in as a new creature, newness of life, but to correct sin as a child of God, so that our worship is acceptable, so our service every day honors God. He will forgive us for their sin. He will wash away our sins and stand us justified in His sight if we'll respond in faith. And we urge that of you while we stand and while we sing.